This morning, as we gathered to set up this and this and that and get everything ready for right now, it was it was a eerily calm moment, and uh, I was just kind of full of nerves because this was new and different and don't exactly know how it's going to play out, trying to walk by faith. And so I decided just to go for a walk and pray and started over here and went over here and went all the way down all across the sidewalk. And as I was praying, I was praying for all of you, for all of you, for those gathered together. And as I came around this west side of the building and uh, toward there where the, the table is set up at the end of the rope line, I had just about wrapped up my prayer. And across the field to the west of us, at, at that time, a little past uh, seven, I think, there was fog covering the field. And you couldn't really see like you can now. And so just almost as the instant I finished that prayer, a flock of geese took flight and, and came over through the fog, piercing the fog, and flying as low as I have ever seen a flock of geese fly. Low enough where I was looking up, wondering if I needed to dodge, if you know what I mean. But as I'm looking at this beautiful flock of geese, they cross over, and I just was reminded of that image, which I couldn't share this morning, but the image which you have all seen for the past many months in our Let Us sermon series. And, and the idea being that God designed us to be better together. That, that we're stronger as a group than we are individually. And it was just such a beautiful, I'm going to call it an answer to prayer, that God was saying, just trust me. I got this. Like I've always had it. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes it's easy to, to get caught up in the news of the day and all of the things that you're told to be worried and fearful over and the, the next new thing and worrying about things you had never worried about before. And sometimes you just need a moment where you can breathe and pray and let God tell you, I got this. You all are part of that. We all are a part of this, and we're all in this together. And thinking about let us, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is a, probably a pretty well-known scripture. Unfortunately, it, it's sadly been abused and misused in a lot of ways. But talking about the full assurance of faith, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, okay, which was not something his Jewish brothers would have been used to previously, but now they were. By the blood of Jesus that, that James talked about. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, 
sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You you remember that day, whenever it was in your story, when you professed, when you confessed with your mouth in front of maybe a crowd like this or or in just in front of two or three people, but you professed with your mouth that you believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the way. The writer of Hebrews says, let us hold fast to that confession. Because we're faithful? No. And, and praise God for that. Praise God it doesn't depend all upon our faithfulness. What does he say? For he who promised is faithful. That doesn't change. The, the world's going to change a lot, but God is unchanging and relentless in his faithfulness. And verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as, in the, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. As I said in the welcome, the, the thing that did my heart the most good this morning was seeing you all together encouraging one another. Smiles and laughter and handshakes and hugs and high fives and elbow fist bumps and all of the the whole bit. It it was is what we do when we draw together. We don't give up meeting together, but rather we continue to meet together for the purpose of encouraging one another. And that means more than you know. The word encourage means very simply to give courage. By being here today, by being online, you have the opportunity to give courage to someone else. It's been a hard six months. It's been a real hard six months. And now more than ever, we need one another. Not so we can check off a box Not so that we can say we were there, nothing like that, but so that we might give courage to one another. And as the writer of Hebrews says, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. I don't know how long, how close that day is and how far away it is, but I do know that it's closer now than it's ever been. And the closer we get... To that day, whenever it is, whether it's tomorrow or 10,000 years away, the closer we get, the writer of Hebrews says, the church, God's people, the called out, who are called outside today, the called out are called out to gather together to encourage one another toward love and good works. May we not forget, as we gather together this morning and the next couple of Sundays, that God has a purpose in our gathering. For just a second, stand up. I know you're all comfortable now. 
That's the preacher's job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Now for just a minute, because we can do this out here, but would you, would you do a 360? Just, just do the hokey pokey and turn yourself around. Now hopefully, as you did that, you can be seated, you saw two, three, four, five people. And I hope that as you saw them, your thought was, as soon as the preacher is done yapping, I'm going to make a beeline for him. Because I haven't seen him in six months. I haven't seen him in forever. And I need to encourage them. And I know seeing them and talking to them will encourage me as well. May we not forget that our purpose is to gather, but it's for not just the purpose of gathering, but to encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. This morning, I want you to know something. As you read through the pages of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, there is one common theme, and that is this. God wants your heart. And He doesn't just want part of your heart. He doesn't just want a portion of your heart. He wants all of your heart. From the very first moment he made Adam and formed him from the dust, his heart, God's heart, wanted Adam's heart. But here's the thing. God would not force Adam to choose, to choose God's heart. And, and the same with Eve as he formed her and crafted her from Adam's rib and placed them there in the garden. What he wanted was their hearts. Fully and completely. And it didn't just stop in the garden, by the way. Let's look at some verses from Scripture. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. Hananiah told Asa, king of Judah, as he put more faith in himself, it's a longer story than I get into, but more faith in himself than he did in God. Hananiah told Asa, he said, you have done a foolish thing. But in the midst of, of rebuking him, in verse 9 he says this, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. It didn't just stop with Adam and Eve. It, it continued all throughout the, the, you know, the Israelites and the kings, and, and God was seeking someone whose heart was fully devoted, fully committed to him. Samuel told King Saul after he made offerings to the Lord when that was not his job to do. Samuel rebuked Saul and he said this, You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord, the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would, 
you would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. You see, even, even among God's people, God was seeking leaders whose hearts were fully devoted to him. Even as Samuel went out to anoint a new king, and Samuel went into the house of Jesse and saw these fine young men, and he looked at Eliab and he said, there's a king. And God said, no. First Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. That's very interesting if you think about it. If we had the ability to sort of have a spiritual x-ray machine, and you could see people as God sees them. Not with their outward appearance, not with their wealth or lack thereof, not of their political affiliation, but their heart. But we can't do that. We're human beings. We look at the outward appearance. The problem with God wanting your heart and my heart and everyone's heart who's ever existed, that he's ever created, every time he's created them, he wants more than anything to have a relationship heart to heart with them. But the problem is, although God wants our heart, we don't want his. At least, not consistently. The prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things, and get this, beyond Cure. Beyond cure. I was, I was thinking about that. We live in a world that's kind of focused right now on a cure. And the world's all caught up in this virus. But the word says there is a much deeper virus. And everyone's afflicted with it. And myself and you and you and everybody watching at home, everybody is infected. Everyone's a carrier. And from God's standpoint, there is no cure. Not from a human ability anyway. There's no spiritual vaccine that we can come up with that will cure. There's no amount of good works that you can do to cure the wickedness and evil in your heart. It's beyond cure. God knew this. We don't always know it. If we think about after his adultery... King David, remember King David, the King David I just said was a man after God's own heart. King David had done all of these amazing things. He had slayed Goliath. He had killed his tens of thousands. He loved God. He wrote most of the Psalms. 
And yet even he had this sickness that was beyond cure. After he had been confronted by Nathan the prophet over his sin, David wrote Psalm 51. And and I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but in part, verses 9 and 10. David cried out to God, and he says this, For against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Didn't he sin against more than just the Lord? Oh, he sinned against a lot of people. and He would cause a lot of heartache and havoc within his own family because of his sin. But David knew that sin was deeper than just the ripples on the water of his life. That sin at its heart is against God. It's that incurable disease. And then he says in verse 9, Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, even David, a man after God's own heart, although he was a good king and he did his best, he still carried the virus, the virus beyond cure. Jesus, in his day, said of the religious people, the mo- not just religious people, but the most religious people of his day. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, verse 7, he says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, These, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus went right back to that incurable disease within the heart. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, Jesus was speaking of the most righteous people of his day. And Jesus said, it's not just this far, it's this far. You may do the outward things, which human beings love to look at, but in here, far The crazy thing about that is Jesus is quoting from Isaiah, the prophet, several hundred years earlier. The problem hadn't gotten any better. Can can I ask you, to those of you who are here, to those of you who are watching, have you ever been in worship, technically speaking, but been far from worshiping? You're, you're, you're bowing your head when they pray. You're, you're, you're opening the Bible when the preacher says, follow along. You're partaking of the elements of the Lord's Supper. You're, you're singing. You're, you're, you're offering however you do that. And, but yet, you were in worship, but worship wasn't inside you. Can, can I confess to you that I've been there? I mean, preachers, Absolutely. Sunday is a different set of circumstances, and worship, usually, if if we're honest, is the farthest thing from our hearts. Why? 
Because there's all these details, there's all these things, and there's all, you know, I mean, just thinking about, especially in a day like today. So to make this understanding that God wants your heart, but we don't want His, at least not consistently. I, I realize there are moments, you know, the teens have teen camp, right? You go up the mountain, up to the zenith. And you draw near and you just, man, you feel like you drew close to God and you're feeling good and you're, you're in the word and you're excited and you're pumped up. And then months later, it kind of fades. And I realize there's moments like family camp when we all gather around and the, the campfire there at Rock Springs and, and we're singing and it's just good and there's fellowship and there's connection and there's, there's relationship and you're with one another and you, you feel close to God and you feel close to God's people. And that, that, that's a good, boy, it just feels good and you feel like you, you're drawing near to God and you come home from that long three-day weekend and you are exhausted in the energy and, and, it, and it just begins to dissipate over time. That's the problem. You see, you and I have a, a sickness that is beyond cure. And, and it's worse than any virus that we have today or will ever have because it's beyond cure. All right, so what do we do? What do we do with this? Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is another example of a guy that you would think is fairly righteous. The Apostle Paul called uniquely by Jesus his chosen instrument. Jesus said of Paul, this man is my chosen instrument. Right? You would think that guy of all guys would have it together. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was trained under Gamaliel, which was like the, the best <laughs> rabbi teacher of the day. In regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. He didn't just read it. He memorized it and knew it and lived it and judged other people who didn't live by it. He was zealous. So zealous, in fact, that when he heard of this group calling themselves the way, heard of this group calling themselves Christians, that he began to persecute them because he thought they were teaching heresy. He did that with a pure uh, uh, heart, uh, not a pure heart, but he did it with a clean conscience. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. You couldn't find a thing in this book where Paul couldn't say, I did it. Or if God said not to do it, he said, I stayed far away from it. And here's what the Apostle Paul, this guy, who we think of all guys, has it together. Here's what he says about himself. For I do not, this is Romans seven fifteen. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do not do what I want, I agree that the law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but he's getting ready to come to the virus here, but sin that dwells in me. 
You see, did you see what Paul said there? He said, sin dwells within me. It's an internal problem. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And now, if I do not if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but here it is again, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight the law of my God in my inner being, but I see my mem- in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Indeed, Paul, who will deliver? In our world today, we're probably thinking about, well, who's going to deliver? What company is going to come through in the vaccine? Who's going to make the discovery? Who's going to find the answer? Well, I don't know that it will ever happen. Paul comes to the same conclusion about our spiritual virus. He says, this is is not within me to fix. I can't do it. Even I, the Apostle Paul, have this struggle between what I know I should do and what I do. Between knowing right and doing right. The answer is this. The answer to this problem is that you... And you and I need a new heart. We don't need a stint of good works. We don't need a bypass of keeping the law. No, my friends, you and I need a brand new heart. A total heart replacement. The prophet Ezekiel said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a new heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. A new heart. Most of us here cannot fully appreciate a new heart. Maybe you can. Maybe there's a few. But most people live their whole lives with the same heart until it gives out. But some people have a a heart defect, something that they're born with, something that just doesn't quite work right, and the doctors can't fix it. They can't mend it. There's not a solution within medicine. The only answer is a new heart. At Northside, we, we, of course, know the story of Joshua Oakley. We all prayed through the time when the doctor said for Joshua to live, he's got to have a new heart. Now, that's a big ask. Because we all know what that means, don't we? For someone to get a new heart means that another human being 
must give up theirs. That a healthy human being must be signed up to be an organ donor and die in such a way that their heart is usable and then be able to connect to the person needing the heart, match them up on the list with all of the the factors that play in. Did you feel strange during that time when we were praying for Josh to get a new heart? Knowing what getting a new heart meant for Josh, meant for someone else, some other family. God brought Joshua through that and gave him a new heart and a new life. But for that to happen, someone had to give up theirs. The same is true spiritually. Paul says, after he says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, look what he says. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. You see, you can't make enough rules to get people right. I realize these days we've got a lot of self-appointed elites making rules about how we can control human behavior. Doesn't work very well, does it? God had the same problem. He had the perfect set of rules. It didn't matter. If you got a heart problem, you're going to listen to the rules. The law was powerless to do that because he was the, the, the perfect law was dealing with sinful flesh. By sending his own son, verse 3 continues, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live on the things of the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. You and I need a new heart. And the only way that happens is through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The good news is that happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ laid down his life for you and I. And Jesus' instructions to his disciples remind us of how God can give you a new heart. John chapter 14, verse 1, if you're following along. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 2,000 years ago, at the first outdoor church service, Peter preached a sermon. And at the end of that sermon, the people were moved. They were moved deeply. In verse 36, Peter brings it home. He says, Let all Israel therefore know... For certain that God has made him, of Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Well, that's sort of a way to end a sermon. Verse 37 says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and all who are far, far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Thank you. God wants your heart. He wants all of it not part of it. He has always wanted all of your heart. The problem is not with Him. The problem, you see, is with us. We don't want God's heart like He wants our heart. We've got a virus. We've got a sin that is beyond cure. A heart that is wicked and deceitful. And the only cure for that heart is not from us, but from God. You have to decide if you want all of God's heart. And if you do, you need to know that Jesus is the only way to have a brand new heart and a brand new life. Just like someone had to give up their life so that Joshua Oakley could have a new heart and a new life, someone had to give up his life so that you and I could have a brand new heart and a brand new life. But not just anyone could do that. Only Jesus. My question for you this morning is, is your heart at peace with God today? Just ask yourself that question and let it resonate for a minute. Is your heart at peace with God today? If not, you need to know that it can be today. That God can do what He told Ezekiel He'd do. That God can change you like He changed Paul. That God can create a new heart within you. 
The disciple whom Jesus loved, John, put it this way. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and we, how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear, heart, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in Him, and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. Is your heart at peace with God this morning? If you are not at peace with God, my next question is, have you had the cure? Have you received the spiritual vaccination? for your spiritual disease. It's only in Jesus. And Jesus said, believe and be baptized and you shall be saved. And that's all you have to do to respond in faith and obedience and you can have peace with God. Not necessarily peace in this world. Jesus promised quite the opposite. But we can have peace with God. We can have a new heart and we can worship Him and be in relationship with Him and love His people and bring more people to Jesus. I don't know when the cure is coming. <laughs> may never come. And we have to get used to that. But the good news is, spiritually speaking, the cure's already been found 2,000 years ago. And if you're not at peace with God this morning, uh, we have a couple of shepherds I'll ask them to stand where they are. Uh, Jim Andrews, where are you, buddy? There's Jim, Clayton McCullough. Somewhere, there's Clayton, Jim and Clayton. Okay, if you see these guys, these are a couple of our shepherds. And if you need them, uh, if you need to repent and put on Christ and have peace with God, we can make that happen this morning. And these guys want to help you do that. And I'll ask these guys to go ahead and move toward the back. And if you need to go find them during this next song, please do so. Or maybe if you're a member here and you've been struggling spiritually and you need the prayers of our shepherds, you, you need something that we can help you with, go talk to Clayton or Jim and they'll be glad to help you. Whatever your need is this morning, don't wait any longer. You can have peace with God. You can have a new heart. You can have a new life through Jesus the Christ. I don't know what your need is this morning, but if you have one, won't you come, won't you see one of our shepherds, and let them pray with you and for you and help you. Let's stand and let's sing. Mark.